Hi, I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and thanks for joining me here today on The Communication Architect. Each week, we'll share content that will empower you to grow your personal leadership capacity through the development of communication competencies that build emotional health and relational resilience. We'll unpack some practical applications of interpersonal, intrapersonal, family, and organizational communication. And we'll connect with stories of transformation that will inspire you to achieve personal and social change. Now, let's build the scaffolding you need to become a communication architect. In the classic story, The Emperor's New Clothes, an entire village is deluded into conformity. Playing on the vanity of the emperor and the people's fear of looking foolish, two swindlers convince the leader that they can weave him beautiful clothing that will be invisible to anyone lacking wisdom. Now, deep down, the villagers know the truth, but they don't trust their own opinions enough or feel confident enough to be the truth teller, the culture shaper that will break everyone free of the deceptive mindset. They've been culturally conditioned to fear the perceived stigma of the whistleblower label. There's a reason this story has been translated into a hundred languages. It resonates with the human condition. It's the ultimate example of groupthink, and I don't think I've ever seen it so powerfully evidenced in America as we're seeing it right now. From allegiances to masks, Marxist movements, vaccine trials masquerading as mandates, our nation is outplaying a collective theatrical production of the emperor's new clothes. Many people know, or at least suspect the truth, but their fear of man and desperate need for approval keep them from speaking up, from delivering the truth that would set others free. And one of the grand arenas where we see this playing out today is the field of education. Many parents have never been given the freedom to think fully for themselves in realms like education, so it's difficult to imagine the possibilities that exist on the other side of that freedom. We see this right now in working with our many, many brand new homeschooling parents. They've been told their whole lives what books their kids have to read, what assignments they have to complete, even when and where and with whom they need to complete them. And when people get around others who are walking in freedom, they start to envision the possibilities for themselves. And as we talked about in the last show, now parents have this rare glimpse behind the iron curtain of the public school system, and they're starting to connect the high rates of anxiety, depression, suicide, ideation to the atheistic Marxist teachings of their children's 40-hour week indoctrination center, the public school classroom. Parents are starting to realize that the foundations our children form in childhood and their teenage years are going to be the foundations that guide them and how they think, how they interact, how they act, how they work, how they vote. We talked about Luke 640 in a past episode. It tells us that the student will become like the teacher. We will become like the company we keep. Last week, we had the joy of interviewing a parent who is new to the parent-directed education movement, and she shared some of her powerful stories of transformation. So please join me today as we welcome back Corey DiMatteo and wrap up part two of that incredible interview. Corey, if you were trying to sell a new homeschool parent on the methodology and you remember the frustration and the fear, I have a lot of conversations with those parents. The first thing they always tell me is, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. And I always say, who taught your child how to speak, mm-hmm. how to walk, how to dance, how to sing, how to d- play patty cake? I mean, obviously, it's almost always the parent and it kind of does break them free a little bit from this idea of, I need an expert. 
to do everything for me, the expert culture. If you were trying to convince a new homeschooling parent you're capable, what would be maybe three benefits if you had to sum up three main benefits that you've gained from moving over into this methodology? I would say uh, just the ability to really manage the pace of your family. Mm -hmm. You get to decide how much time you give to everything. And when you're going to public school or even private school, you know, you run on their clock. And so if you want to teach your kids how to empty the dishwasher, you know, you may not, they may not have time to, they literally may not have time to do that because you're on a schedule. So I'd say controlling the pace and you get to decide how much time you want them outside playing and how much time you want them to be on media. And you have full control in a really healthy way to really be that gatekeeper and decide how are, how is my children's time going to be best spent? Um, I would say just the relational healing that comes that I, I doubt you'll even know needs to heal if you don't actually take this step. So good. Um, and so just watching your marriage change, watching the relationships between your children change. I'll never forget my mom babysat the kids after about four months of us being homeschoolers. And she knows my kids very, very well. And she looked me straight in the eye and was like, your kids are different. Like I always tell people that because only after four months, they get along better. They're kinder to one another. They look out for each other. Um, They still bicker and they have their moments, but they are in general on each other's team like they were never before. Um, And then I think lastly, just the ability to truly disciple them. We can take that time to read the Bible, Mm -hmm. to talk through those stories, to catch all of those little character development moments Mm -hmm. um, where they do something wrong and you don't miss it. You have the time to stop and say, this is why that was not okay. Uh, we had our kids memorize First uh, Corinthians 13. And so oftentimes when they get into arguments with each other, I have them recite First Corinthians mm-hmm. back. And one of my children likes to hold grudges. And so every time they get to the part that says, love will keep no record of wrongs, I don't have to do anything. The That's word epic. corrects them. And that so they just epic. drop their heads and say, oh, I'm yep. so sorry. I shouldn't mm-hmm. have done that. And then it's done. But that took yep. time. That took, yep. you know, what, yes. what used to take a half an hour now yep. takes five minutes. And so I think that's one of the things we've learned. So beautiful. Just a total transformation in family relationships. And I think about what we're training our children up in that is when they're older, they're going to use the Bible as the mirror for their behavioral questions. They're going to use it as a mirror for their relationships. I mean, as it should be, Mm -hmm. the biblical worldview becomes their reality. And again, so many parents that are kind of drifting along thinking, well, we're doing okay. You know, they look in the rearview mirror of their lives and realize, wow, there's just so much more that God has for us. Mm -hmm. You share a lot with our Awaken Academy moms about this term of detoxing from the traditional school environment. I love that so much. I know we we like the Chia systems and we were talking about earlier, we talk about resetting, but what has that detox process been like for you? And I know you always talk about it taking a year. You're kind of at the year mark, really mm-hmm. almost. So what has that process of detoxing been like for you and and also the people that you've been mentoring as well? I'd say it's just been slow. So I've had to realize that it needs to be something that happens over time. I was, you know, I'm 35 years old. All I've ever known is education the way that I've ever experienced it. We've been parenting for nine years the way that we've always parented. So just giving yourself that patience to understand that this is going to be an unlearning process for you as well as your kids and creating space for that. Um, And I think just having access to books and having people who could come alongside and say, hey, check this book out taking that time. I mean, I get up earlier than I used to so that I can read these books and learn about where this stuff came from um, and be able to kind of, you know, backtrack from it. Like, okay, well, that's the way that the world does education, but is that really the best way for us to do it? Um, And I think there were even times I would just caution people as they start this, you may have sense like a sense of anger or a sense of frustration, like, 
why wasn't I like, why didn't right. I learn this way? You know, I could have been reading for all the hours of the day. That would have been so much better than me learning yeah. fractions yeah. <laughs> for me personally. <laughs> um, and so I think just being open and kind of expectant for you to have good feelings and hard feelings and to let yourself so process good. that. And I think within the midst of community, it just exponentially deepens what you're going through because people can nod along with you and say like, yeah, I understand what you're feeling. Um, and having people that can really truly understand what you're actually feeling and go through it. But I would say just taking it slow and being willing to relearn whatever needs to be relearned. Yeah. That's so powerful, really being in the the seat of the student as we go through life, you know, and I think, you know, at our CVCU model, listeners know we talk about we hire professors who are a guide on the side rather than a sage on the stage, you know, mm -hmm. that we approach life from. We're all learning. We're all in process. And yes, I'm the authority figure in the home, you know, as the parent um, when I'm teaching my children, but also just understanding that I'm also on a journey that we're mm -hmm. all in process. It's so, so important. When we look at this model and we think about the larger culture, the church, the city, the nation, what are some ways you can see the parent-directed education movement really paying a, playing a positive role in Im impacting culture? I would say one of the big things for me is it showed me how much I need other people. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a very introverted person and I've always kind of coasted without a whole lot of deep community. And I think realizing that I needed people like you or people who have already homeschooled who are a little further ahead of me on the journey. Right. I need you guys to help me see, you know, the bigger picture to help push through a really challenging parenting season. And I know um, by God's grace, our couple of mom group meetings that we've had, we've had somebody come who's a veteran homeschooler and she's been able to speak to those situations and just comfort yeah. us in a way that we needed. And I didn't know that we needed. And I think yeah. that's really important. And then in terms of just thinking about discipleship, if we can, as a church, raise our kids to know him and to be biblically literate, they can they can, can build the church. We don't have to, you know, go catch them again when they get into college because yes, we all so know that good. the research is going to show us that they're very likely, if they're not homeschooled right. and dis discipled by their parents, to walk away from the faith. Right. And then as the church, we have to go evangelize those people. And so right. I say, why don't we start at home? That's good. Start around the dining room table so that they never get lost in the first place. And so I think that's uh, that's super important. So good. And that piece on community is so vital. And that's really one of the reasons, you know, when our kids were little, we started these homeschool academies because, you know, we don't want to have this throwian kind of walk. We're out in our own Walden Pond and where, <laughs> you know, I can do life on my own because obviously as believers, we were wired to be in community. As humans, we were wired to be in community. But as believers, we understand that fellowship of, you know, doing life together, living in community together, the sharpening process of that. And so I love, not only from a personal standpoint, but also from an academic standpoint, uh, the data is very clear on the benefits of benchmarking and being in community. And, you know, we can get we can get very myopic about our children's growth or lack of growth. And then we get around other kids and we're like, hey, they're doing great. Or, hey, they need to shore up in this area. That is a healthy thing. Just like being around somebody who's you know better than us at something causes us to rise up, right? Mm -hmm. And so we want the same thing for our kids. We want to create those communities. And that's why the Awaken Academy model really does embrace both of those. We have healthy a healthy balance of reflection and connection. And we need both of those in terms of our human development to be, you know, to be healthy. We need times of reflection, times alone, 
people like Corey and me who are eyes on the IE scale. We need more time alone, but we still all need community. And that's a lie a lot of introverts believe they think, you know, I don't need community. Mm-hmm. You do. You just need a different level. You, you may not need as many hours with other people, but we all need the sharpening of community. And my extrovert friends who feel like they don't need time alone, obviously that's also a lie. We all need those times of reflection and connection. So I tell my students, you know, you've got to find yourself, locate yourself on that scale, and then you've got to add to that. So if you're not getting any time of reflection, you got to add to that intentionally. If you're getting all reflection, you got to add some community to that. And so I just love the model. And, you know, we realized when our kids were little and we were homeschooling that we needed to have something where we could create that community. And it offers such a great opportunity for discipleship. And that's one of the reasons just in my one of my platforms as the president of CVCU is helping churches in San Diego County create it entities like this where their people in their church can develop those deeper ties. Many parents have told me that they, you know, their kids, they saw each other on Sunday and maybe they went to a different service. They missed them that week. And they are friendships in terms of relational development time once or twice a month. But now in an academy setting, whether you're meeting once a week or twice a week, I know some that are meeting three days a week, whatever that model is, you're having that opportunity for deepening relationships. And we've talked on the show before about the the cycle of relationships. The first piece is proximity. We've mm-hmm. got to have that relational proximity to develop a close relationship. So not only for parents, but also obviously for students, our children being able to be in those relationships with people that are like-minded, you know, in the traditional sector, parents, this was one of the big arguments against homeschooling. Oh, will my kids be socialized? Yes. In the traditional sector, they will be socialized by people who do not share your values. Mm -hmm. That's called indoctrination. Is that what you want? No, of course not as a parent. Hopefully you don't want that. (laughs) So we choose those relationships. We make that decision so that our children are, are literally trained up, raised up in a way that supports, not challenges, not undermines, which is the traditional system right now, undermining every Christian value, aggressively undermining. We don't want that kind of system. Corey, what would be some closing thoughts or maybe words of wisdom that you'd want to leave with our listeners today? Um, I was just a huge homeschool-like critic. And so for me to be sitting here telling you that it's a really good idea, honestly, I can't believe I say it half the time. So if I can fall in love with this methodology, you can fall in love with this methodology. I promise. Whatever you think it is, it's better. Whatever you think it is, the negative things about it, it's it's just not whatever that picture is in your brain. Um, And so I would say that if there's that nagging feeling of like, I don't know if this is the right choice or if maybe they do need school, just give yourself that time. Find somebody who will talk to you about it and maybe hang out with a homeschooling family for a week or so. Watch what happens. It really is magical. And I thank God every single day that school's closed and that he yes. gripped us and he yes. showed us before our kids were, were so old that maybe it, I would have missed right. my opportunity. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. I truly feel like it was a miraculous shift. Mm-hmm. And so if you're thinking about it, um, just jump in and give it a try because I, I honestly cannot talk enough about the blessings, the gifts, the growth, the depth. It's just been the most um, transforming experience of our lives. So beautiful. Thank you so much, Corey. It has been a joy to have you with us today on the show. I'm super excited about having you back because we have a lot of books to unpack. (laughs) Thanks again so much for being with us. What Corey said there was so powerful. And this conversation reminded me of something Jack Hayford once said, that it's easier to build a man than to rebuild him. The youngest generations are leaving the church in droves only to come back if they ever do come back hurting and broken. And that is not what we want for the next generation. 
Again, the ROI, the return on investment in the parent-driven model of educational discipleship is hard to argue against. Modern culture tells us that kids are a curse, an accident, a drain on the pocketbook. People do financial feasibility reports to see if kids are worth the cost. But Psalm 127 tells us that children are a blessing, a heritage from the Lord, a reward from him, arrows in the hand of a warrior. What if we could create a model of family discipleship that connected the hearts and minds of children and parents? What if we could establish a model that dethrones the spirit of peer orientation and replaces it with a healthy model of parent orientation? When we look at the tragic statistics of Gen Z, we see the fruit of millions of children who've been told their lives have no purpose, no destiny. They've been given no reason for hope or joy. Romans 1.20 tells us that God's nature is evidenced in the created realm, that we can learn of God's character and qualities through studying his world. And also, we've talked about many times on the show that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when we cut that foundational principle out of our educational system, what on earth are we actually teaching our children? Gen Z's emotional distinctives are absolutely sobering. You know, when we look at even the big picture in our nation and some of the studies that show things like 75% of adults who say they're born again can't define the Great Commission or the fact like Barna's study we talked about a couple of weeks ago that only one in 10 Christian families read the Bible together outside of church. We've been seeing that one evidenced, and I know I've talked about it on past shows, but where parents are really awakening to this. I was talking with a mom the other day who was distraught over her teen who had been raised in church, but never discipled at home. Now, they're a good family, an intact family, but there'd never just been this intentional transference of the faith from parent to child. They didn't read or discuss the Bible together. Their home and lifestyles weren't built on the word of God. Now, they went to church, went through all the motions with the best intentions, but that end result is tragic. And this is a conversation I have with many parents today, parents who thought they were doing enough only to look in the rearview mirror and realize often after the child's worldview has been formed that they didn't disciple their children. And sadly, this view often becomes clear to them only at the end of the parenting journey when their teens are icy hearted toward the church, toward God, toward godly relationships. And Obviously, the Gen Z emotional distinctives are sobering across the board. They're anxious, depressed, overwhelmed, suicidal, self-injurious, STD-ridden, more likely to cohabitate, live together in a, a sexual relationship outside of the context of marriage than any previous generation. They're the most atheist generation in the history of our nation. And I know we've talked about this before, but just a reminder, the two areas where Gen Zs say Uh, the, the foundations for why they don't believe in God is first, they don't believe a loving God would allow evil. And second, they believe science and the Bible contradict. Both of these, we can track back to the public school indoctrination centers where on our watch, the Great Commission has been outlawed in every sphere of American culture. So it's not a panacea, but Parent-directed education can be a powerful and effective tool for rebuilding those faulty foundations that have played such a significant role in most of our modern social ills. When it's done well, it's a system that connects the hearts of parents and children. It teaches, trains, transforms through a Christian worldview. It helps parents invest wholeheartedly in family discipleship. When I met my husband in England back in 1988, I was struck by the prevalence and positioning of churches. No matter where you stood in the city, you could see a church. This was intentional positioning. 
The church was once the center of culture. Now, as Ken Han writes, those churches have become museums devoid of the life and the joy of God, simply a building fulfilling a perfunctory historical role in an increasingly atheistic culture. America is in danger of the same decline unless we start to restore the church to the center point of culture, unless we begin to restore the local church uh, to the center of growth-oriented activities and drawing families back into the heart of church culture and drawing children back to the hearts of parents. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9 tells parents to impress God's laws on the hearts of their children, talk about them as they travel the highways and the byways. And in the traditional system, most students go to class for seven hours, have another two or three hours of homework each night, and that significantly limits the opportunity for family discipleship. Through the system that we're building, we can increase things like intergenerational connectivity, which provides a a beautiful framework of relational discipleship and mentoring, and it's built on having time together. We provide people with hope, encouragement. We train young men to carry the mantle of manhood. Through the system, we can restore the local church to the center of spiritual formation and community, providing more of a holistic approach to family discipleship and the fulfillment of the Great Commission. When it's done well, parent-directed education creates a love of learning and a curiosity that fuels research and inquiry. The most successful college students I get are not necessarily those who are most gifted. They're those who are most determined and character plays a role in our success, a powerful role. And most importantly, that is that it's a purposeful and powerful methodology for ensuring the transmission of the faith from one generation to the next, helping to reverse some of the grim statistics relating to American discipleship and biblical illiteracy. Again, Luke 6.40 says that when he's fully trained, the student will become like the teacher. And as we go back to Plato's admonition that we asked at the beginning of the interview, which was what are, um, who's teaching the children and what are they being taught, we have to ask ourselves if we're seeing the harvest of righteousness in the next generation. Bad company corrupts good character. It's time to pull our students away from soulless secular education systems of state indoctrination and start establishing parent-directed models of education, supports for these in every church in our county. And through this vision, we can train up K-12, to K-college to students to love God, to love their country, to love one another, changing the world for the kingdom, one student at a time. Parents, you can do this, and we're here to help. Check out some of the work that we're doing in San Diego County at awakenacademysd.com and cvcu.us. That's Chula Vista Christian University and Awaken Academy. Parents, you are not alone. You can do this. If you're a pastor hearing this message and you want to get your church started and equipped with a model that will draw families into parental discipleship, educational discipleship, and restore the church to the center point of culture, be sure to connect with me today. Thanks again for joining us here on The Communication Architect. If you have questions about today's episode, or if there are topics you'd like to see us address, send your comments via Instagram to at Dr. Lisa Dunn or via email to contact at drlisadunn.com. That's D-R-L-I-S-A-D-U-N-N-E.com. And remember, strategic communication will help you build greater emotional health and relational resilience. So don't miss the next episode. I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and I look forward to talking with you next time right here on The Communication Architect.